Hello and welcome to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. We're pleased to have you join us for the program. That perhaps if you have a picture of God as someone who is just brutal and ruthless and uncaring, this should really challenge that view. Jeremiah was more than just a mouthpiece. His heart ached for the people who were resisting God. Dr. Corbett looks tonight at the broken prophet. Let's join him now. Let's pray. I want to this morning share with you a very, for me, what is a very personal word out of this passage of Jeremiah. This is something that, that gripped my life and changed my life. And for me, it's a part of the story of my life, this passage that we're going to look at. So I want to lead us in a pastoral prayer. And it's a prayer that's going to invite God to have his way in our lives. Assuming that God knows what's best for our lives, which we're going to see in this section. Assuming that, knowing that, we can pray with confidence that if we invite God to have his way in our lives, he's going to work what is best for our lives into our lives. So let's pray. Lord God, I pray that you would take my heart, my life, my mouth, my mind, everything I am, and that, Father, you would have your way. We pray, Lord God, that you would change me where I need changing, change us where we need changing, shape us as a church, mould us as a church, have your way in us as a church. Lord, knit us together the way we should be knitted together and help us to be fully surrendered and devoted to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please turn to Jeremiah chapter 10. We're going to be looking from verses 19 down to verses 25. Jeremiah 19. And this section is what we might call the broken prophet or the broken hearted prophet. This is Jeremiah giving us some insight into what's happening in his life as he ministers this, this powerful word. And this word is a word that, that not only changed the nation, it changed the course of international history. And at the same time, while Jeremiah is in this phenomenal public ministry, something's going on in his own life. And, and I find this passage exceptionally moving. Let's read verse uh, 19. Woe is me because of my hurt. My wound is grievous. But I said, truly, this is an affliction and I must bear it. Now, here's the question. Who is speaking this verse? Who is speaking this verse? In, in, you know, I, I would encourage anybody to never just read a, a verse in isolation. Always take the context. Always grasp the surrounding verses and the surrounding context of the passage. So here's the question. Who's speaking? Because in the immediate prior verse... It's clearly God because it's introduced as for thus says the Lord. But then my Bible closes off those quotation marks. And the next section, verse 19, which we just read, there's no open quotation marks. I don't know if there is in yours. 
So who's saying, who's speaking this? And this is where scholars are a little bit perplexed. In fact, this whole chapter is a perplexing chapter for a whole range of reasons. But let's just look at this for the moment. Who has just said this? I think there's three candidates for who could be speaking here. Let's look at it again. Woe is me because of my hurt. My wound is grievous. But I said, truly, this is an affliction and I must bear it. Who's speaking? It could be God. This could be God speaking. You know, the quotation marks we have in our English Bibles, they're put in there by the translators and the Bible publishers. Their guess, I was going to say is as good as ours, but their guess is probably better than ours. But the quotation marks, punctuation marks, are not a part of the original Hebrew. So this could be the continuation of God speaking. If it is, if it is, notice what God is saying, if it is God. God is about to say through the prophet Jeremiah, I'm going to bring judgment on my people. And how is God couching this judgment? He's saying, it hurts. It hurts to have to do this. My heart is aching because of this. But notice what else he's saying. But this is an affliction that must happen. This is something that has to happen. So this is God speaking, if it is, we, we capture something of the heart of God that perhaps if you have a picture of God as someone who is just brutal and ruthless and uncaring and, and just all about rules and not about care, this should really challenge that view. This is a God who's about to inflict discipline and judgment and he, if it's God speaking, is saying, I, I'm pained to do this, but it's something that has to be done. The second candidate is Jeremiah. It could be Jeremiah speaking. In a moment, it's definitely Jeremiah speaking. So perhaps this is where Jeremiah speaks. Perhaps this is the start of Jeremiah expressing his own heart. Now, if it's Jeremiah, here we have somebody who, who feels an ache over the, over the spiritual condition of others. And if that's the case, as somebody who, who wants to follow Christ and and I remind you that Jesus Christ was identified when he asked, who do men say, I say that I am? People said, Jeremiah. Some say you're Jeremiah. So there's something very Christ-like about Jeremiah. And if this is like Christ, and here we have Jeremiah, the prophet, the one who's delivering the word, not just in a cold way, but in a way that he himself is deeply moved. He was called the weeping prophet for a reason. He's deeply, deeply moved. And this verse just, just highlights that. He, he could, in this sense, if it's Jeremiah, he could be saying this, I ache, I hurt to tell you this, but I must tell you this. I must tell you this. If, if it's Jeremiah, there is a third candidate for who this verse could be. And it could be the people that he's addressing. It could be Judah. And if it's Judah, southern Israel, or the, the, became sometimes known as Israel, if it is, it's a statement of arrogance. If it is. It's, it's essentially, if it is Judah, it's, it's saying this. Uh, yeah, we're going to go through some tough times, but 
So what? We'll be right. We'll get through it. We'll get through it. Yeah, yeah, it could hurt, but we'll be right. Yeah, this is an affliction, but, you know, we'll bear it. We'll handle it. Just bring it on, God. Whatever. That is called arrogance. If it is Judah. So there's our three candidates for who it is. Either one of those can fit the context of what we're about to look at. Verse 20. My tent is destroyed. All my cords are broken. My children have gone from me and they are not. There is no one to spread my tent out again and to set up my curtains. In the King James Version, it renders that word tent as tabernacle. And therefore, it would be very easy to think this is talking about the tabernacle of Moses. And therefore, you would be forgiven for thinking this is, this is God speaking here. But this, this is an expression uh, where it talks about my tent is destroyed, all my cords are broken, my children have gone far from me. It's really about the family home. This is poetic of talking about a home, the home where children are, where a mum and dad are, where together you've built this home. And here they're saying, who this, this is saying, probably at this point, Jeremiah talking on behalf of the people, our homes are destroyed. And notice the difference between a house and a home. A home is where those you love live with you whom they love. And here Jeremiah is, is saying that what is about to happen is going to result in the destruction of homes. In fact, it almost sounds like it's already begun. The way the people were living had been destroying homes, destroying homes. Children didn't want anything to do with their parents. Husbands didn't want anything to do with their wives. And it says there is no one to spread out my tent again. That's the role of the man. The head of the house is gone. The children have been scattered. That's a terrible picture of a home life. Terrible picture. We could jump ahead to the application and notice that the enemy wants to destroy family homes. He wants to destroy, to destroy families. We read on. Next verse. For the shepherds are stupid and do not inquire of the Lord. Therefore, they have not prospered and all their flocks are scattered. This is a strange one, I think. Jeremiah is saying, this is the condition of Israel. The home has been neglected. The head of the home, the father, the husband has left. Because he's left, there's been no discipline in the home. Children have scattered. The home itself has fallen into disrepair. But the next level of support and care, the shepherds, the priests, the leaders in the sense of those of the royal family, those that provide leadership, are careless. Careless in the sense that they don't care about God and his ways. They don't care about God and his ways. Think about the greatest shepherd that ever lived. Who was that? Jesus Christ. Think about what happened whenever he was swamped by crowds. What did Jesus do when he was swamped by crowds? He withdrew. And it's easy to think he withdrew to be alone, but he didn't. 
he withdrew to be alone with his father. The great shepherd. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that amazing? Think about this. He tells Peter, his leading disciple, it has been revealed to me in the spirit that you are going to come under satanic bombardment. Remember that? He said, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. What was, what, what was this insight that Jesus was giving here? Because the, the response, I guess, that I'm expecting is, so Peter, I want you to stay in fellowship with me. Just stick close to me. Just hang around here. You got a problem, just jump on the phone. Give me a call. I'll be around there. We'll get 12 support team members around you. We, what did Jesus say? But I have prayed for you. Isn't that, intrig- Isn't that intriguing? I think parents should shepherd their children. And notice what Jesus did. He set the example. He spent time alone with his father. That's what a shepherd does. Notice what the shepherd was doing when he spent time alone with his father. He was praying. What was happening when he was praying? He was hearing from his father. It's been revealed to me, Peter, that this is what is going to happen to you. Satan has asked to sift you. How many parents can kind of prophetically see their kids are in for a hard time? (laughs) Man, you don't even need to be prophetic. And here Jesus is saying, but I've prayed for you. I've prayed for you. Consider what Jesus did when he was with them. The greatest shepherd ever. He taught them. He taught them about God. He taught them about the Father. I think one of the greatest roles that parents have, and I I was really blessed, Johnny, when you said your mum taught you about Jesus and how to follow Jesus. That's it right there. That's the role of parents. Teach your kids about Jesus. The other day, I was praying with Ruby. I come in every night, tell her a story. In fact, it ends up being three stories. And I said, now, Ruby, what can we ask Jesus for? Ruby's four years of age. And she said, I don't know. That's cool, being four and have no needs. What a great life. I often look at my daughter and think, must be great being four. (laughs) Fantastic. Anyway, I just, I got a little bit misty then. Anyway, let let me come back into reality. So then, last Sunday, she brought... Did you, did you bring Wee Little Teddy today? Where's Wee Little... No? Okay. Just help me preach here, Rubes. So, <laughs> if you say no and you're preaching, you've got to go, no, what? Anyway, and uh, <clears throat> she lost her little teddy, her second favourite teddy. Little pink teddy. She lost it last Sunday. And so, Monday night, we're praying. And we're praying now dear jesus please help me to find wee little teddy and i'm actually excited as a parent that my four-year-old is now bringing her needs before jesus and so was it tuesday or wednesday ruby tuesday or wednesday you found wee little teddy tuesday the next day how's it has this ruby came to church and she said 
an, an idea popped into my head. I think that's, that was her exact words. An idea popped into my head that wee little Teddy was in a box in the crash. And so I went with her out to the crash. She got the box out, opened up the lid, and there was wee little Teddy. And straight away I said, now who do we have to thank? We have to thank Jesus. Now you might think, oh, as if Jesus cares about little pink teddies. Bite your lip. (laughs) And the role of a shepherd is something a parent must fulfill. Teaching their children, setting an example for their children, praying for their children. And Jeremiah says the, the shepherds of that day, the priests, the Levites, the princes of Israel had not done it. They'd not done it. But what were they doing? Because the, the main thing Jeremiah says that they hadn't been doing is, is in that second line, for the shepherds are stupid. Why? Because they do not inquire of the Lord. They don't seek God. They don't ask God for his help. That's what shepherds do. And so what was the, the main indictment against Israel shepherds? They had sought after people, not after God. They'd sought after people, the approval of people. They'd sought to please people. They hadn't sought the approval of God. And I think parents, we need to understand that we're not there to please our children. (laughs) We're there to shepherd them. We're there to parent them. And we need God's help to do it. And I, in this church, as shepherd, pastor, one of the shepherds in this church, I want to make sure that I'm doing those things myself. I want to make sure that my life is an example I've never had on my car that bumper sticker, which I haven't seen in a long time. Thank you, Jesus. Christians aren't perfect, just forgiven. Anyone ever seen that? Ever heard that? I haven't seen that in years, but thank God it's not sold much these days. Because Christians aren't just forgiven. Christians are also called to lead. Christians are also called to set an example. Yes, we fail. Yeah, we slip. Yes, we stumble. Yeah, we, we don't always get it right. And thank God there is forgiveness. But I don't want to have that kind of bumper sticker as an excuse to say, hey, my life's no better than yours, buddy. No way. We want to be shepherds together. And so notice, um, notice what these guys had done. These, these shepherds had become stupid. They were ignorant. They, 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 they'd stopped learning. Their hunger to learn had stopped. Notice what else had happened. It says these shepherds had be, uh, they were not, uh, what does it say? They, they were not prospering. There was no fulfillment in what they were doing, which is the essence of prosperity. And as a result, their flocks had scattered. No one wanted to listen to them. The great irony of telling people what they want to hear is eventually they don't want to hear that. So, Next verse, a voice, a rumour, behold, it comes, a great commotion out of the north country to make the cities of Judah a desolation and a lair of jackals. Here the prophet Jeremiah is saying as plain as there is a country coming from the north that will come in and will utterly destroy this city, utterly destroy it. And in the background to our main graphic, we have a picture of the rubble 
that would be left after the Babylonians would come in and make it a lair of jackals, an utter ruin, utter destruction. So I want you to come back to the start of this section. The start of this section is somebody saying great pain is about to be inflicted. And unfortunately, this pain is necessary. What's the pain that was necessary? God's discipline. What was God's discipline going to look like? It was going to look like an entire city destroyed. In fact, by the way, over the years, the city of Jerusalem has been destroyed 22 times. There's been 22 conquests of Jerusalem, which explains why there's very little archaeological support for some of the, the details. The, the, big, the big archaeological details are there, but some of the details of biblical history can't be found because it's been obliterated 22 times. So, doom was certain. Now here we come, this is all by way of introduction, now we come down to the crunch of it. And I want to I read this from the New Living Translation because I think the New Living Translation just is very, very plain, very simple to understand. So as we're about to read this, here's the question. What does it take for God to correct you? What does it take for God to correct you? What does it take? How much, how much of God's intervention do you need in order for you to hear God saying, come on, come on. So let's read this verse. Verse 23. Actually, I'll read it from the English Standard Version, then I'll, uh, verse 23 and 24, and then I'll... Um, I'll recite it from the New Living Translation. I know, O Lord, that the way of man is not in himself, that it is not in man who walks to direct his steps. It's an, it's an arrogant thing, isn't it, to say I've got my life worked out. I know where I'm going and I know where my life is headed and I'm going to make sure that it goes in that direction. That's an arrogant thing to say because none of us knows what's around the corner. Plenty of people in Queensland at the start of this year, thought their lives were kind of pretty cruisy. You know, what is it? Um, uh, perfect one day the next and flooded the next. Oh, no, how's it? Um, beautiful one day, perfect the next, you know? And yet, all of a sudden, something comes out of the blue that kind of messes, messes that up. Now, that can happen on a whole bunch of levels. You're going, well, one day you get a little ache, you go to the doctor and he says, I'm sorry to tell you this, you've got three months to leave, you've got cancer. I don't wish that at anyone. But that would certainly change the course of whatever direction you thought your life was heading, wouldn't it? You know, um, you're doing okay, suddenly you get the warning to evacuate. You've got to evacuate, you come back and your house is, is coconut tree fodder. You know, it's like that would kind of mess up your week. This would alter the course of your life. None of us, none of us can order our steps. The Bible's very clear that it is God who directs us. It's God who does this. And here Jeremiah is beginning his prayer. This is the response of Jeremiah. This is what Jeremiah's prayer begins to say. And he's essentially saying, as if the person speaking in verse 19 was Judah going, oh yeah, whatever, Jeremiah, bring it on. Yeah, we'll go through this because, yeah, we've been through worse before. <laughs> Jeremiah goes, hey, it's not up to you. It's not up to you to say how your life will work out or how your life will go. That's God. And so Jeremiah is now addressing God. 
God, I know it's you. You direct my life. You water my steps. You bring in good, you bring in bad, and both shape me. And I know you've got a good plan for my life, says Jeremiah. And he'll say that specifically in Jeremiah 29 and verse 11, a bit later on. And then he, so he says this in verse 24. Correct me, O Lord, but in justice, not in your anger, lest you bring me to nothing. The New Living Translation puts it this way. Does anyone have the New Living Translation? Elizabeth? It says this, correct me, but do it gently. Not in your anger. In every Bible I've ever owned, I've highlighted it. In this one, I've highlighted it, underlined it, and put two red bars next to it and said, that's my prayer right there. Oh God, I know you're in the business of changing people. And I can either resist that change or I can cooperate with that change. I vote to cooperate. I want to be a volunteer. I voluntarily ask you to change me and have your way in my life. And oh, by the way, Lord, could you just be gentle? Does anyone else want to make that their prayer? Be gentle. God, I pray that whenever you change me, correct me, discipline me, You never have to do it because I've made you angry. That's my prayer. That's Jeremiah's prayer. Now put that in the context of Jeremiah looking at Judah, who will not repent, who will not turn to the Lord, who will not say, have your way in our lives. In fact, God is saying, come on, turn back to me. We're married. You're in your bridal dress for Pete's sake and you're already off cheating on me. We haven't even had our wedding night and you're off cheating on me. Come on, come back home. And Judah goes, to you, God, we're going to do what we want. And God says, okay, okay, then I'm going to have to do this. I'm going to have to destroy your home. I'm going to have to destroy everything you trust in, which was a temple supposedly set up to worship this God. I'm going to have to destroy everything you trust in. I'm going to have to scatter your children. The very things that you thought you were going after. I'm going to get rid of them. And you'll end up with nothing. Wow. Wow. I don't want that to be my story. And here's Jeremiah who's just spent the last nine or ten chapters saying this is Israel's story. And Jeremiah's going... Wait, wait, hey, I don't want to be a part of this, God. I want, I want you to change me. And now Jeremiah slips out from the public role and he's now alone with God. Oh, God, change me. Change me. Don't let there be any stubborn way in me. Change me. And that's my prayer. Is it yours? God, do it gently. Have your way in my life. Are you prepared to let God change you? Are you prepared to let go of things and let God change? change you yesterday i went to the tip it was a bit of an emotional trip for me because a few months ago we got a new tv and the old tv was moved into our guest unit and then the guests started complaining about it they wanted color tv what's with that No, it was colour. 
<laughs> so then we took the old clunker colour. It was, it was like it was deeper than it was wider. Like it was one of those valve TVs. And so we took that old TV and I put it out on a table out on the back veranda of the unit. And there it has sat for the last eight months. And Kim said, you know, we really should throw that out. I said, but honey, you know, we bought that. That was our first TV. One night I asked you, we were in Shepherd in Victoria. We had no TV. I said, would you like to watch a video? She said, yeah, but what on? I said, well, let's go and buy a TV. And a video player. <laughs> So we went down to the local Kmart and we bought a TV and a video player and brought it home. And that TV has served us well for the last 22 plus nearly 23 years. Well, it hasn't for the last eight months of that 22. It's kind of the sides of it had peeled and it got cobwebs. And it sat there, but I couldn't bring myself to throw it out because, oh, it was our first TV. Anyway, I'm going to talk more about this tonight when we talk about growing as a leader but the point is i had to i had to let go of something that hurt actually as daggy as it sounds i don't know if you've ever thrown anything out and uh, (laughs) i'm going to discover something one day all that stuff that i thought i was hoarding kim threw it out years ago but anyway (laughs) That's the thing when you hoard stuff. You never use it anyways. You don't even know it's gone. So, but, but, I'll, but I had to let this go and it was a change. It was, it was something that, that's actually good. Now that's, that's what change is. It, you, you let it go. So what, what, we've got a flat screen TV now and the prob, you know, as soon as we got our flat screen TV, they started making flatter screen TVs. Anyway, um, so here's Jeremiah. Prophesying to to Israel. Israel is in utter rebellion to God. Jeremiah steps back, says, but God, don't let that be my story. So here's my prayer. It's in verse 24. Change me, O God, but be gentle. And don't, don't let it be in anger. I hope we can make that our prayer, church. Verse 25, he reminds his people that this is what is about to happen because they couldn't pray this prayer. Pour out your wrath on the nations that know you not and on peoples, on the peoples that call not on your name. For they have devoured Jacob and they have devoured him and consumed him and laid, his, laid waste his habitation. Jeremiah still cares for his people. And here's a postscript. The people that did this to Jerusalem, who destroyed it, the Babylonians, would themselves be destroyed just as Jeremiah prayed. They were destroyed by the Medo-Persians, obliterated, never to rise again as a world power. So here's the question. What does it take for God to correct you? Do you need utter disaster or can you be corrected gently? Jeremiah's prayer should be our prayer. Let's pray. Father, we want to be the kind of people that have you correct us and change us gently. Father, I pray for everyone listening right now that every one of us would be voluntarily surrendering to you, that we would be the people that say, God, have your way in our lives. Please, we pray. Now, if you're listening to me right now, maybe you're in your car, 
You could be in your lounge room, your bedroom, your kitchen. You could be watching this on iPod or iPhone. You could be anywhere in the world right now. And God wants to speak to you and call you and invite you to draw closer to him, to get to know him. If you were to die right now, you know you don't have a relationship with him. God doesn't want just people who are on the outside. God wants people to come on in, come on home. Make God your father. God is calling you to come to him and ask him to forgive you and to cleanse you and to make you new. You are just one prayer away from being made right with God for eternity. It's nothing you can do, but God takes what Jesus Christ, his son, did for you on the cross and he makes it yours by way of your invitation. God, come and have your way in my life. Forgive me of my sin. I want you to be Lord of my life. Can you pray that prayer? You pray that prayer, you become a Christian, someone who knows sin's forgiven, someone who prays the prayer of Jeremiah, oh God, now that I know you, help me to know you more, change my life, but do it gently. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Please stand. Father, stretch out your hand. Grant signs and wonders be done now in the name of Jesus. Lord, for those who are dry, those who are not filled with the Spirit, those who do not speak in tongues, those who have never stepped out in gifts, I pray right now, fill everyone. May everyone right now just drink of your Spirit. And Father, I pray for those who come here now who need healing in their body, I pray stretch out your hand of grace and heal the sick. Right the now. Broken Prophet, How Jeremiah's Heart Ached for the People. More from Dr. Corbett in this series on Jeremiah next week. Podcasts and Finding Truth Matters resources, including tonight's program, Jeremiah Session 24, The Broken Prophet, are available from Lagana Media. You can contact us at P.O. Box 1143, Lagana, Tasmania 7277, or via the website findingtruthmatters.org. If you missed the introduction to the Jeremiah series, you can receive a complimentary DVD copy just by writing to us at P.O. Box 1143, Lagana, Tasmania 7277. If you're listening outside Australia, for a gift of any amount to cover shipping, email your details to us to request your complimentary DVD. The mailing address, mail at findingtruthmatters.org. If you'd like to subscribe to the monthly e-newsletter Perspectives, visit findingtruthmatters.org and click subscribe. Dr Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We look forward to joining you at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.